Well, that was great. That was wonderful. I don't know. I think, it, gosh, that song Enough that they sang, I remember singing that like back in 2002 or something, but I don't think I've ever heard it as lovely as that just here tonight. Yeah. So what a great time. It was a great time. How's everyone doing tonight? Good to see you here. Glad you're here. Welcome to Genesis. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. Um, Alex, can you turn the lights all the way up? We can get a little bit more light here. Um, We're continuing, and actually we hope to conclude, the Gospel of John. Okay, It's been a while, but we're going to try and finish that. We're in chapter 20, verse 30, starting there. And we're going to go through and read to the end. And again, as we read through this passage, I I want your mind to be engaged and think about what we're reading and any questions that come up, uh, maybe jot them down so that you can ask them. I want to have a time to answer those questions or any things that really stand out to you and kind of give you just an epiphany like, oh, wow, this is amazing. By all means, we want to give you an opportunity to share those things with us as well. So John chapter 20, starting at verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, doesn't that seem like a great place to end it? Okay, but it doesn't. It goes on, which might prompt a question. Why did he write that and then it go on? Prompted a question for me. Anyway, chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Thanks for asking. He doesn't say that, but he said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, as we talk about these words in this passage, we ask that, Lord, your inspiration, your spirit would illuminate and make them alive and powerful to us. Lord, we pray that as we are engaged with this chapter, Lord, that you would engage us, Lord, that we would fight off distraction, that we would give you our attention, and that this time would be rich with your presence and a powerful opportunity for us to draw close to you. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it starts off, we started off in chapter 20, verse 30 again. The chapters are there for our sake. They weren't there originally. And it seemed like verse 30 of chapter 20 would be a great place to end this. And as it starts off, he says, you know, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And it's clear that all the Gospels never set out to give a full account of everything that Jesus did, but they were written for specific purposes. And here he tells us what those purposes are. He says, these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospels aren't written to be biographies but appeals so that those who are reading him would understand fully who Jesus is. 
And as he states here that you might have life in his name, isn't that really where we started? In him was life, and the life was the light of all men back in the first chapter. And so John is trying to connect us to Jesus himself. In him was life, and that life was the light of all men, and that we might have this life in his name, his life, to be our own life. And so John is actually concluding where he began to help us understand who Jesus is, not to just give us a lot of information, but everything that was written, all the miracles were there to tell us something. Him telling us about the resurrection is pointing to this life in his name, trying to get us to see exactly who Jesus is. Um, That the reader would recognize and also be able to speak about who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, and that that belief might, through that belief, we might find the secret to this real life. And so that's really what we want to do. We want people to understand the life that is in his name. And so we want to be able to present clearly who Jesus is, and that's why all these gospel accounts are written, to give us clarity about who Jesus is, but not only clarity about who Jesus is, clarity about who God is. And that's why John spent a lot of time saying, he who has seen me, Jesus would say, has seen the Father. He is trying to connect us to who God is, the revelation of who God is. And I think it's really important for us to understand that because a lot of people have conceptions about who God is. I had heard something that Irwin had spoken last Sunday where he said that it's insanity to run away from God and to look for love. And I just love that. You know, if you're looking for love, well, God is love. John told us that, but it's insane to run away from God and still look for love. And a friend of mine in uh, the UK responded and he said, I ran away from God and I found love. And it was a lot less fearful and intimidating. I forget the exact words. He says there was a lot less fear involved with relating to that. And you hear that, and at first you might think, oh gosh, that's, that's very offensive. You know, he ran away from God and found love until you know what he ran away from. And what he ran away from actually wasn't God at all. What he ran away from was religion. And the very much the same thing that the Pharisees presented, this kind of oppression over people. And so when he talks about the fear that he brought, he's talking about those kinds of things. And so I responded and say, it's, then it's good that you ran away because you really didn't run away from God. I didn't say that a lot. I just said, it's good that you ran away. And I also said, so did I. And maybe we're actually running towards the same thing. We're just not labeling it the same thing. You're running away from what you called God is actually a religion that I also wanted to stay away from. And you're running to love is actually probably bringing you closer to the God who Jesus has revealed than what religion has 
hidden. And so we need to be wise in what we're understanding and how we speak. We need to know who is this God that Jesus is declaring so that we can declare him as well, that it can be accurate. Because a lot of people don't believe in God because God has been misrepresented by people. And as we start to understand the God who Jesus has illuminated, then most people are drawn to that, drawn to that love and that understanding of who God is. And so John is writing these things that in believing in who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God, we might have life in his name. Are there any questions or thoughts in this these verses here? Anyone wonder why it looks like it ends and then it keeps going? Sure, why not? (laughs) It's thought that John writing this, John is probably late in years as he's writing this. And as he's looking back, he has looked back past probably Peter's death that Jesus is going to speak about and the rumors that were spoken about about him that he addresses as well as some of the misconceptions about Jesus and his resurrection, that Jesus rose and was a phantom, was a ghost, was a spirit. And so maybe John wrote this gospel, and then as he's looking back, he goes, you know what, I need to add something. I need to add a couple of clarifying points about Peter, about me, and about Jesus. Because he does on all of those points. And he goes on to talk a little bit more about the resurrection. And again, one of those misconceptions or those uh, misinformation that started to spread was that Jesus was just a spirit. That when he rose again, it was just a spirit. And so John gives another account. And don't you wonder how many accounts he actually had that he could have gave, could have given, and that we don't know? I mean, he says, uh, the books wouldn't contain all... Well, I'd like to know a little bit more, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be great to have more stories and hear all these things about who Jesus was and what he did and his interaction? I know that sometimes when I'm talking to someone or when I'm listening to a, a, a teacher, someone who is teaching me, and, and they give me information, they go through a talk and I hear the talk, but when there's questions and answers... And I sit there and find out how they come about some of the information. I almost learn more from that informational dialogue than I do from them actually giving a talk. You know, as they start telling me about what and why they did these things, I say, oh, I understand that. And then I start kind of learning a little bit more through the kind of behind-the-scenes things. Don't you wonder how many behind-the-scenes things there were with Jesus that we don't have? Anyway, can't talk about them because they're not written down. But here's one of them that John did write. He said, you know what? Here's another little story I have to tell you about Jesus. And he goes on and he talks about them going fishing. And in verse 3, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. And they fished all night because that's when the good fishing was supposed to be. But they caught nothing. Now think about this. Peter had not been fishing for probably three years. 
except for maybe a few times with Jesus. Jesus said, go catch a fish, and you'll find a coin in it, those kinds of instances. But Peter used to be a fisherman, and he had left that life to go and follow after Jesus. But there was the crucifixion, there was the resurrection, and Peter's kind of in limbo now, and he starts thinking, I guess I'm going to go back and fish. He goes back to doing what he knows how to do. This is what his life was, and he goes back to what it was. I think that's really interesting. I think a lot of us have a default mode where we go back to what we're familiar with because, well, that's what I'm used to doing. Have you ever had to change a job? And there's that uncertainty, or maybe there's the possibility of a new job. But with that possibility, you're unfamiliar. And so you can stay in the job where you're at. You know, you're a telemarketer, and you sit in a cubicle for eight hours a day, you know, and you hate it. And there's a job to go out and be a a forest ranger or something, I don't know, whatever seems appealing to you, you know, and it's out in the open and it's out in this wild space. But, you know, to do this, you're going to have to make some adjustments, make some changes. And there's almost, well, I'll just stay where I'm at because I know what this is about. Instead of, well, I'll take this job because, man, this is like my dream job, but I don't know. And that unknown frightens us, doesn't it? That change frightens us. And it doesn't just frighten us in the area of our, you know, living and the things that we're going to do. It frightens us in how we interact with other people. You know, I, I became a person of faith and I started following after Jesus. And all of a sudden, this starts to becoming an important part of my life. But now... How do I share this important part of my life with other people? That's new to me, and so that's awkward, and I don't know how to dialogue with people, and so I tend to do nothing because they're going to think I'm crazy. If I start telling them I believe in Jesus now, what are they going to think about me? And so it's uncomfortable, and so I don't step into that. But then when you do take that new job, And you find yourself out in the wild open and it's beautiful and there's waterfalls and there's bears eating out of your hand or whatever. You know, it's just this, you know, wonderful life. Then you say, man, I never knew it could be so good. And you find the same thing happens in our lives when we break out of those shells and those places of conformity that we lived in. I don't know what will happen if I do this. I don't know what will happen if I start to, you know, maybe pick up a guitar and play or start to talk to people or maybe do a spoken word and poetry. And we do these things and all of a sudden we found this is great. I have this newfound freedom. I, I am able to now live my life more fully. If only I wouldn't have just stayed stuck in the thing that I was doing and got used to. And our spiritual life can become the same way. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. But when everything came down and it was difficult, he went back to what he knew. I'm going fishing. He wasn't thinking, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and start a movement. I'm going to go and take this 
information and this life that I've lived for three years and I'm going to pour it into other people and I'm going to see God change the world even though he had seen Jesus alive, even though he had witnessed the miracles, that wasn't in his mind. And so we see Jesus gives him a little push. And don't you love that God gives you a little push every now and then? It's like, I don't know if I want to push, you know. Oh, I guess I will, you know. There you go. God's pushed me a number of times. I never really liked it. It was kind of, Lord, I'd like you to pave the way, give me a GPS that speaks my language, and let me know where you want me to go. And instead, God just says, no, you want to go? Yeah, I'd really like to do something, God. Push. Ah, freaking out, God. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Oh, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. Thank you, God. Yeah. And God's like, ah, yeah, okay. And so... Peter's going back to fishing, something he hasn't done. And not only is he going back, he's taking others with him. Think about that. His lack of vision of what his life could be and would be also started bringing other people with him. I wonder how much our lack of vision and stepping out in faith actually brings people with us as well. Where if we would actually step into the things that God might have for us, we'd find people willing to follow us. He okay back there? <laughs> uh, that's okay. As long as he, he, he doesn't get hurt, that's fine. Okay. I don't hear crying, so that's a good thing. Or a bad thing. <laughs> anyway, so... That's what we see. He brings people with him back to where they were. Think about These are the people who are going to change the world. What are they doing? They're fishing. Something's wrong here. You're not supposed to be going backwards. You're supposed to be going forward. And so now they have this encounter. The morning, Jesus stands there, but again, the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. We talked about this last week, how in one of the Gospels it says that their eyes were veiled. They couldn't see, that God had almost blinded them. Now, there's also this dynamic that we don't understand because Jesus has this resurrected body, this new kind of body that we don't understand. It still has flesh and bone, but he shows up in a room with locked doors, which is kind of cool and kind of weird at the same time. And so something is going on and they don't recognize him until he tells them, hey, put the net on the other side of the boat. To me, that sounds silly. There are going to be fish over here, but not over here. You know, but they do it, and then they catch too many fish or a lot of fish, and all of a sudden, John says, it's the Lord. And Peter doesn't wait. He grabs his cloak, puts it on, and jumps in. Now, he was wearing like a tunic or something. It's not like he was nude sitting there in the boat. He was just wearing some fishing clothes, okay? But it wasn't proper to meet someone in those work clothes. If you were going to interact with someone, you were supposed to have your tunic on and go over to them. So he puts his cloak on and then he jumps in the water because that's Peter. I'm not waiting. I'm going. It's the Lord. 
And I often wonder if the boat got there, you know, like a second later or what, you know, or if the guys are, thanks, Peter, we'll row. Thank you. No, don't worry about us. You just keep going. But he just jumps in and he goes and they start rowing the boat in. And then Peter apparently gets there first, but he doesn't say anything. He just gets there. And he's just sitting there. And then when he gets there, they find that Jesus is cooking fish. Okay? Or he's got a fire ready to cook fish. And it's for breakfast. I've never had fish for... Well, I guess I've had lox. Does that count? Lox? Yeah, that's fish. So maybe he's going to have lox and bagels. That's where it started right here. No, I don't know. He's, He's there and he's got a fire burning and they all get there. But none of them says, are you Jesus? They're afraid to ask because they know it's the Lord. And as he comes there and they see the fire burning, Jesus says, bring some of the fish you have caught. And so Simon goes back to the boat, brings them there and have breakfast. And this has got to be just the most awkward breakfast there is. Okay, this is Jesus. All right, here's the fish. And we don't have any other dialogue. What are you saying? So how are you feeling today? I mean, what do you say? How do you talk to him? And Jesus, after they're finished eating, says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Let me ask you, what do you think he means by these? The other disciples? Or the fishing? That's something that comes into question. Is he talking about the boats? The Lord, I mean, Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me more than this fishing? Or do you love me more than these people? But we know because we have the inside of this story that Jesus asks Peter this three times, and that's reminiscent of what? The three times that Peter denied him. And do you remember what Peter said before he denied him? He said, Lord, even if all these fall away on account of you, I never will. But he did. And so Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? You know, you said you would never fall away. You denied me three times. Do you love me more than these? And there is some interesting play on words because when Jesus says, do you love me? He's using the word agape. Are you completely devoted to me? More than these other people. And when Peter responds, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word is phileo. It means, you know, I am fond of you. I, I, I am endeared to you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And this happens three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape, again, is the word. And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I I do care about you deeply. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? But this third time he says, do you phileo me? Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter is hurt because of that. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo. I am fond of you. And so he asks him the third time and he says, feed my sheep. Okay, why did he ask him three times 
And why is he telling him to feed his lambs, to care for his sheep, to feed his sheep? So do you think Jesus' is asking him three times was to rub it in or to restore? To restore. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting that every time Peter says he loves the Lord, then the Lord asks him to do something. If you love me, then take care of others. If you love me, then do this for others. And and we see that theme, right? If you love the Lord, you will love your neighbor as well. You know, how can you say you love God who you haven't seen, John will tell us in his first epistle, and yet not love those who you can see? And so if you love me, then do this that I ask you to. And so he is pushing him to basically be his voice, to to carry this message and take care of these people who also were followers. Remember, there weren't just 12 disciples. There were thousands at this time, people who were following Jesus from different ways in different areas. But Peter was one of the 12. And so he's saying, if you love me, then I want you to feed. In other words, I want you to care for these people. Give them what I have given you. Feed my lambs. Take care of these little ones. If you love me, then I want you to care for them. I want you to make sure they're okay. If you love me, then I want you to feed these sheep. And there's this kind of progression from the lambs to the sheep. I want you to be there for them. And so there is always this understanding that if we love God, then we love people also. And if you are going to be a servant of God, then you are going to be a person who cares for people. And so Jesus is moving Peter into this place and he's asking him the three times because he is bringing restoration he wouldn't be rubbing his nose in it if he would tell him, give him more authority, right? If you love me, then, okay, just do what I say. He says, if you love me, care for my sheep. If you love me, then do these things. And he is telling him, Peter, you love me. So do this. Now, we want to hear Jesus say, I love you too, Peter. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. All that he has done has been for Peter. And there's no record here of, you know, Peter saying, well, do you love me, Lord? He's just saying, Peter, do this. And this is his stamp of approval on Peter saying, you're the man for the job. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to care for my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. You are the man to do what I need to be done for these people. And so it's definitely this restoration. And it's important that we recognize that because that's how God is. He restores us for purpose. A lot of times I have thought this. I just can't. I can't be used by you, God. I mean, my life is a mess. My family's a mess. This is going on in my life. I'm just useless. And I take courage that God would say to me, 
and to you like he did to Peter. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. You know, I, I, I might not have the devotion that you have for me, but man, I love you. Well, then I want you to care for people. I want you to feed people. I want you to continue doing the things that I have for you because if you really love me, then it's going to show in someone else. And so that's what Jesus is doing to Peter and I believe that's what he does to us continually. How many times do we say, God, I love you, but I'm done. I'm done with church. Church has burned me. Church has left me just kind of dry and empty, so I'm done. I love you, but I'm not doing the church thing because, yeah, I'm, I'm done with it. But then he'll say, well, you need to care for my people. Well, who are they? Well, that's my church. Oh, darn it, you know. And so there's no way that we can love God and not be involved with people. And no matter what has happened in our past, how we've been burned or things that we don't like, even like my friend who said he ran away from God and found love. It's like he still needs people. And God is still speaking to him and in his life. He's probably closer to God now than he was when he was going to the church he was at, I believe. And so God is still pushing us towards people because he's all about the people. Any questions on that and Jesus's interaction with these people? Is it getting warm in here? No? Yes? Can you turn it down like one notch maybe? I'm warm, so Uh, sorry for you who are cold. I know I've got the fan on, but we'll turn the air on. Um, So Peter goes on and, and he sees this and they start walking with Jesus and Jesus goes on, he says, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, people, you'll search, stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Kind of strange things here because Peter is told people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And this is going to be, Peter had an understanding that this was going to be about his death. And still Jesus says, follow me. You see, love always involves responsibility and it always involves sacrifice. We don't really love Christ unless we're prepared prepared to just face the things before us to take up our cross and follow after him. Jesus knew exactly what he was calling Peter and these others to. He wasn't afraid or like, well, I'm really sorry to call you guys to this. I know it's going to lead you to your death. He did it unashamedly because it was life. They were actually dead without him, even though they thought they were living. And so Jesus wasn't ashamed to call him to life. And he's almost giving him this understanding. Listen, this is your future, but follow me. Even though you've denied me in the past, follow me. And he's trying to give Peter this resolve. And he's doing it in a way that works. And Peter understands. And as Peter hears this, okay, people are going to lead you. You're going to die in a way that glorifies me. And we, we have from history that Peter was crucified 
and martyred for Christ, but when he was led to the cross, he said, don't crucify me like my Lord, and so he requested to be crucified upside down. And so even in his death, now we see a different Peter who says, I don't, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, so crucify me upside down. And so he has this desire to honor God. Even in his death, he doesn't want to be acknowledged as similar to Jesus, but he wants to glorify him. And so as they're going on in verse 20, Peter ta- saw the disciple that Jesus loved was following them, the one who had leaned back against, and he gives him this information. And he says in verse 21, Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? If I'm going to be led away by someone and die, what's going to happen to him? I love that. I love that Peter wants to know what about him. If any of you have had more than one kid, you know the what about him scenario. Okay? It's kind of the, you know, well, you need to go to your room. What about them? What about them? How come I get, to, I have to do this and they don't have to do this? There's the what about them and man, why do we compare ourselves to others? Why do you think he wanted to know what hap- what's going to happen to John? What do you think? What would you think? If you were just told, hey, people are going to lead you to your death. You're not going to want to go. This is going to be how you're going to die. And you saw the other disciples and you want to know, well, what's going to happen to them? Why would you ask that? Yeah, kind of like, well, it's not really fair if I die and he doesn't. You know, why do I have to die? What about him? Is he going to die too? Because misery loves company, I guess. You know, kind of a, it's really is, is it fair? And John feels important. This is important enough to include, and I think it is. I think it's important when Jesus says, what does it matter about him? What does that have to do with you? You follow me. How many times do we compare our lives to other people? I did it today driving up here when I saw a car I really liked. And I thought, wow, why do they have that car? And it was the exact same thing. What about them, God? Why do they get the car? Well, what a, who cares why they get the car? What about you? Maybe they're a doctor. Maybe Who knows what they are to have that car? you know? But in my mind, God, I want that car. As if God's a car salesman and he gives us cars, right? What do you care? But we're always comparing ourselves to others. And it's a mark of pride. Pride is always comparing. We do it in appearances. You know, got to be careful. Um, We want to make sure that we're getting everything we can. And we don't like it if someone else is getting more. Jesus talked about this in parables, you know, about the, the men who went out to work and the owner said, hey, I'll give you this much money for the day's work. And they went and they said, yeah, that's fair. And then a few hours later, he goes, hey, you guys want to work? Go ahead and go work. A few hours later, go work. Hey, at the end of the day, these guys worked for just an hour. When these guys worked the full day, And the landowner came and he paid these guys who worked for just an hour the amount that he said he would pay these guys who worked the whole day. 
And the guys who worked the whole day said, all right, if they got this much money for an hour, how much do you think we're going to get? Well, I work 10 hours, so if you take that hour times 10, I should get 10 times as much. And then the owner gives them the exact same amount. And they said, hey, that's not fair. And the landowner said, wait, I told you I would work you for this much. Are you mad at me because I was generous to them? See, they weren't upset that they didn't get enough because that's what they were going to get. They were upset that these people got more. And Peter here has that mentality. What about him? If I'm going to die, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus' word, what's it to you? You have to follow me. How much better human beings would we be if we stopped comparing ourselves to other people? How many people would be more secure in themselves if they stopped comparing themselves to other people? I mean, and let's face it, the world around us wants us to compare. You know, that's why they have all the commercials. You know, that's why they try and sell you the latest and the greatest, because if you don't have this, you're not as good as these people. And if you wear this, you'll look like her. No, you won't. (laughs) Why are you trying? It's true. And it's, I mean, both ways, guys. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can wear those shoes. You won't run like him. You can barely run. And so we have this idea of, oh, I want to be like, I want to be like. And our life is constantly being comparative and and we lose our own identity. What's that to you? You have to have a relationship and a life that follows what God wants for you. And it happens spiritually too. It happens in churches. How many times, oh man, I wish I had a church like so-and-so's. You're not so-and-so. Your church isn't like them. Oh, I wish I played music like this person. You don't. You play music like you. I wish I taught like this person. You don't. You have to do what you can do. And otherwise, you become disingenuous. You become, you know, very shallow. There's no depth because all you're doing is trying to compare and be like someone else instead of God using you for who you are. Peter had a specific task. Paul had a specific task. John had a specific task. They weren't to do what the other person did. They had to do what God had them to do. You have something to do. What is it? I don't know. You follow him. And that's what Jesus tells Peter. You follow me. What's it to you? And because of this, there was a lot of rumors, you know, and he says, because of this rumor spread in verse 23 among the believers, the disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He only said, what's it to you if he remains until I die? And so he tells him that was a rumor. That's not true. Okay, that's just what's going on. And so testifying of these things, just letting him know this is it. This is what I want you to know. And I think it's interesting that John feels important to declare these things about Peter, about Jesus, and about himself at the end. Because God has something specific for Peter. God has something specific for John. God has something specific for you. 
and for you and for you. God has something specific for you. And it's not like this is the only thing. It's God has made you with all your temperaments, with all your uniqueness. There is something only you can fill and it is or fulfill and it is what you will naturally fulfill if you continue in this relationship with God. God isn't trying to make you conform to everything. God is trying to get you to live the life he has given you in his name. What does that look like for you? You ever sit in the shower or something and you just get these ideas? That's where all my ideas come in the shower usually or at night when I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I'm supposed to go to sleep. Wait, I got an idea. And you start thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if, and you just get this idea and it just resonates with you. And you're thinking, oh, this would be so cool. I can see this happening. I see. And your mind's just exploding with this creativity and this thought that you would like to see happen. That's yours. That's yours. And God would be saying to you, follow me. Make those things into reality. Allow those things to take place. And John concludes, verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. How do we know his testimony is true? He's talking as an authority, right? It's like the doctor says, hey, I'm diagnosing you this and I'm telling you. Well, you take his diagnosis because he's the doctor and he has the credentials. You might get a second opinion, but he's still a doctor. John is telling us this, hey, my testimony is true. Why? Because I'm one of the disciples. I was there. Okay? I've got some clout because I was in the in crowd, right? He was walking with Jesus. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I love that. Just leaves you just like, ooh, there's more. There's more to know. If there's more to know about Jesus than what is written here, do you think we can still know it? Or are we limited by what is written. So can we know more now? Nope. You can't know more about God. God's spirit can't teach you anything else except what was written. Yeah, well, the canon of scripture, I believe, is is there. We have reasons to believe that God has given us these words in scripture, but does it mean that that's all that there is to know about God is what's been declared? No, right? He said, he just said there was not enough room to write all the books then why do we live our lives with limitations? The scriptures aren't meant to limit us. They're meant to guide us. But so many times we use the scriptures as a limitation. And we say, okay, is, is that here? where God spoke to my heart. Well, let me make sure God spoke to your heart. What did he say? I'm not seeing that here. You know, I don't, what, what are you, how do you know it was God? Well, I felt like the Spirit told me that. Well, you know, there's nothing here, it says, in the Bible to start, you know, a work in Haiti. It, Haiti's not even in the Bible. So, 
right? You can, you can limit the work of God if you are not careful. The scriptures aren't meant to limit us. They're meant to guide us. Okay. Well, God's moving on my heart to, to help the poor. Well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, the scriptures tell us that we're to care for the poor. So I'm going to go rob a 7-Eleven and get that money, and I'm going to give it to the people who are poor. Wait a second, wait a second. I think the scriptures guide us against that. You're not to steal. Oh, okay. So now you have to find another way to get the money. Right? And so there's guidance. Yeah, it's good to help the poor. How you do it, that's up to you. Don't steal. That's a bad thing. So the scripture guides us, but it doesn't limit us. It's there to help inspire us so that we can do those things. Great book. John's been a lot of fun. Um, Not sure what book we're going to go into next. I'm actually thinking about going into Romans again. (laughs) Well, now now I feel I have to. We've got applause. But there might be a little break. might do a small book, maybe Philemon, and then give me a little time to process how we're going to go through Romans. Um, Any other thoughts in this closing verses here that we looked at? Anything stand out to you? Maybe even looking back on the book, something that has stood out as we've gone through, John? Yeah, Alex. Definitely. I know. What did I say? Alex, didn't I say something the other day? I said, we're not afraid of mistakes. What did I tell you? Yeah. Yeah, we're free to make mistakes. We allow mistakes. Peter made plenty of mistakes. We have the freedom to make mistakes. Yeah. And and what's amazing about that, so you, you have this feeling, Lord, I love you, but not the way I should. And the Lord says, well, I want you to do this. It's like, oh. He's given you responsibility even though you don't feel you're worthy of it. Which shows he's trusting you. Isn't that amazing that he trusted Peter to feed my lambs, to care for my sheep? Peter just denied you, Lord. Peter cut off that guy's ear. Peter, Peter did this. Peter, I mean, Peter made a lot of mistakes. Get thee behind me, Peter. You know, or Satan, you know, he... Man, there's a lot. And God trusted his entire, the kingdom of heaven was entrusted to these frail and faulty men and women. Guess what? It's still entrusted to the same people today. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. It should give you actually, wow, cool. God knows I'm frail, he knows I'm faulty, and he still trusts me. But then it's like, wow, but now it's responsibility, which is what Jesus was doing with Peter. He was giving him the responsibility. Don't go back fishing. Take care of the sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Don't go back. You have a, a responsibility. And we do too. We do too. It doesn't mean we can't fish. It doesn't mean we can't train dogs or do whatever you're doing for a living, but you still have a responsibility to care for these people that God cares for. Any other thoughts? Yes, Ashley. You know, I think it ends, too, with kind of a challenge to all of us, even like Ashley had mentioned, you know, well, you know, there is more 
And this is God's gentle reminder to us, you know, okay, I have something for you. Follow me. You follow me. What would happen if everyone here had that mentality and we all said, you know what, I'm going to follow you. And what you want from me and the things that you've designed and created me for, I'm going to live in that potential. I'm going to live to that degree. And we all just got together and said, this is, yeah, this, we're all going to do that. What would change in our lives, in our community? How could just this room full of people make an impact in our community and in the world if we all had that mentality? You know, and so that is our challenge. You follow me. What does that look like? Well, that's between you and me, but you follow me. But it's got to be something that connects to other people. It's got to be something that's involved in helping people, but there's a million ways to help people. Some people can help people by, you know, caring for them physically, some by praying for them. There's a million ways you can help people. You follow me. What would happen if we all had that understanding? I have a responsibility to follow him, and it is a gentle reminder. You know, do you love me? Oh, yeah, Lord, I love you. Okay, then I want you to do this. Do you love me? Oh, yeah, I told you I loved you. I, I really do. Okay, then I want you to do this. Okay, Lord, do you love me? Do you have to ask me again? Yeah, I do. I need you to, I need you to follow me. And he'll ask us as many times as is necessary. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times. How many times have we denied the Lord with the things we've done? So how many times does God ask us, do you love me? I do. Okay, then follow me. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful question. Do you love me? That you present to Peter, and with that question is the responsibility that love always shows up in what we do. And if we are people who love our God, then our lives will show it. That people will be able to see that we love you because we do the things that prove we are following you. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that you would help us to do just those things. You would help us to truly love you and follow you in a way that you are leading us. Father, you have our ear. You have our attention. And as you would tell Peter, you tell us, you follow me. Lord, that's our desire here tonight. We do pray you would help us to hear your voice and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.